Before we tune in to this episode of Fiddle and Pipe, we have some announcements to shout out to all of y'all. First off, if you want to support us on Patreon, please go to patreon.com slash fiddleandpipe, where if you donate $5 a month, you will get access to our special podcast, Fiddle and Pipe Happy Hour, hosted by yours truly. We have bloopers, and we'll give you a shout out. So please come join us on Patreon and have a good time. Have a drink, chill, wind down a little bit with some wine. See what I did there? (laughs) And if you don't want to join us on Patreon, we also have listener support on Anchor. That's anchor.com slash fiddle and pipe. We have three different tiers there all per month. We appreciate anyone who would actually take the time out of their busy days to not only listen to us, but support what we do. So it's truly a dream come true to wake up every morning and have Catherine harass me about what podcast episode we're on. So thank you for doing oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> we do this on the daily. And if you want to keep up to date with these podcast episodes, mm-hmm. please, please join us on our Facebook group, Fiddle and Pipe Forum, where we'll keep you guys up to date of what we're sharing in our latest episodes. We'll also be sharing that on our Instagram. That is at Fiddle and Pipe. And if you want to do a little bit more, you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or any other streaming services that allow you to do that. We only want five star reviews, mm-hmm. so keep the four star reviews to yourself. <laughs> we don't want to hear it. Uh, we will also read your review on air because why not? it's fun. We like hearing what y'all have to say. Exactly. Okay, so if you really want to do more, you can always follow us individually on Instagram. I am at BM Ross Music. And I'm at Cat Flint Flute. And hopefully these announcements were good because we have a lot of technology errors. But hey, you know what doesn't internet. have technology errors? Our episode. So go listen to it right now. And. Exactly like that. <laughs> Let's just end it like that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Blenchin, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Good morning, everybody. Because this, this is, is morning, morning time. time. Not with Lacey. If anybody follows me on Instagram, on my stories, every now and then, because I'm obsessive and slightly shocked that our relationship has grown over the last six years, Lacey and I have morning time. <laughs> so soothing. This is actually morning time I with love Brittany it. and Catherine. It's... And our special guest is a wonderful friend of mine. Her name is Wendy Tabor. She is a photographer extraordinaire. She's probably the one person I know that has been to so many conventions and has seen so many people from Star Trek and Star Wars. (laughs) Just saying. I don't know anybody else that has collected as much memorabilia and has met people. So she's a hoarder. I am a bit of a hoarder. Hoarder of books, hoarder of photography, hoarder of movies, God knows what else. And I'm also a graphic designer, and I am Mm -hmm. also a very proud person who identifies as hard of hearing, and, as Catherine said, film buff. Rad. (laughs) We're very happy to have you here. Happy to be here. My book collection has actually evolved. It's still all movie uh, biographies and autobiographies and books on, like, the actual film industry, and it has since branched out because... um, after I left Georgia, I went to design school and I kind of swan dived into the world of design. So I got art books, design books. I'm a very creative person. Mm. Also a granny at heart. That's yeah, really cool. <laughs> That's why I loved your illustration that you use for the podcast. It- My brother-in-law made that for us. Aww. Clayton Smith, little shout out. I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but Wendy is one of our international listeners too. Yes. I mean, is Canada international? I would say yes, for the most part. 
but then again, we contribute so much to the American tourism industry and the general economy. I think we're your sister. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. These are right there. <laughs> I mean, come on. Most of our hockey players have moved to the U.S., so. Yeah, I mean, that you're like our, our sister that's annoying, talks kind of weird, and is just covered in sticky syrup. <laughs> and yeah, actually, that's true. There are maple trees everywhere. Oh I won't God. have the American stuff anymore. I just won't. I honestly oh, can't no. blame you. I'm from Vermont, and whenever I see Vermont syrup, I'm like, hold up. We are dropping everything and buying that. <laughs> I still have yet to try, like, real maple syrup like that. Girl, you haven't lived. You have not I know. lived. I have not lived. So today we're doing something a little different. Normally we're a book focused, but mm-hmm. we have in between episodes that are not as book focused. Today, or I guess this week, we watched a movie called Immortal Beloved, which oh. is Beethoven-esque drama from 1994. Oh god, that's almost been 30 years. Can you believe that? Yeah, I watched half of it last night and the other half this morning, and I could definitely tell it was from the 90s because the audio was so unbalanced. Like, some parts are very loud and others are very quiet, so I had to keep turning it up, and David was in our bedroom reading, and he was like, did you finish the movie? And I was like, no, I just watched half of it. I'm gonna watch the rest tomorrow. And... He's like, okay. He's like, some parts of it seem really loud. Were there cannons? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it makes me think about, like, the old war movies, too, that you used to watch that were, like, in the 90s. Like, I think I watched The Patriot not too long ago. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Come on! He doesn't play for them anymore. He's a buccaneer. He's a pirate. Arr! But yeah, I tried to like watch The Patriot and oh god, I think the sound was just starring really Mac weird. Jones. And some of <laughs> the look sure. on your face. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and Heath Ledger, rest in peace, you the beautiful Joker. soul. What did y'all think of the movie besides the fact that it was like so obviously early mid nineties? Have you guys seen the movie Amadeus that's about Mozart? That's oh. on my list. I was gonna say it's I on your see list. It. Please. It was made in the 80s. The movie was made, like, maybe, like, 10 years before, maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. than that. Mm. But every movie, I feel like, is going to have some historical inaccuracies. I think Immortal Beloved did. Oh, this movie had so much. And then Amadeus is kind of, like, the same way in, in some form. I really like Amadeus just because, one, you're just listening to Mozart, and you're just like, oh, that sounds great. But also, when you read about Mozart in books and stuff like that. He was a prodigy and he was great with his craft, but he was also kind of known to be like a little bit immature. And so they really portray that. They really show that he's like a player, that he's immature. I kind of like that aspect of it, but it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't know if it's on any streaming platform. It might be on Hulu. We don't get Hulu up here. You don't get Hulu? How do you oh. live? How can you binge Bob's Burgers? Getting back to this movie, I I think the movie itself was okay, but I really think what bugged me the most was the fact that almost everything in it was historically very inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beethoven did not have a child with his sister-in-law. Like, Carl no. was actually his brother's son. Yeah. Historical inaccuracies aside, though... It is a very powerful piece of storytelling, and Mm -hmm. there were some really well-done moments that hit me not only as a hard-of-hearing person, but I feel like anybody who wants to understand what it's like to be deaf or hard-of-hearing needs to pay attention to not the visuals on the screen, but the audio. And yes, I know, 1994? But there were some really powerful moments with just the sound alone that honestly moved me to absolute tears because I felt like, wow, I was not even two years old when this movie came out. And I honestly thought, this is like partly what my world sounds like. Mm-hmm. Mm. And to see that represented on screen from a movie so long ago, it really hit me inside and it felt really nice to feel my world shown in that way 
Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. Gary Oldman. Beautiful man. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, the first note I put down is, Gary Oldman is Beethoven. Not only is he the badass and sexy Sirius Black in Harry Potter, but he's the badass and sexy Beethoven. You go, Gary Oldman. <laughs> everything you know? Catherine said, everything. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he's in Harry Potter. <laughs> but I do agree, because they played a lot of Beethoven's music. I think it just got me back to why I love music, because Beethoven's music was kind of what really attracted me, especially to continue on and pursue flute playing. There were moments like where it was intense, and you would start feeling that intensity with whatever snippet of a piece. For instance, when they played the second movement of the Seventh Symphony, that opening, dum, bum, 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 bum. When that happens, it's when his nephew is up on that tower trying to, like, basically shoot himself. It's intense. It's a very intense moment. What also kind of got me were the silences. When they're playing the Ninth Symphony on stage, and he walks up on stage, and he's just standing there, and it's silent. I didn't see it as, like, oh, he walked up on stage, and everyone's staring at him. What is he going to do now? I saw it as, like, he can't hear anything. Because at the time when he wrote that symphony... He was literally, like, deaf. Oh, he was fully deaf at that point. It makes you think, wow, that's insane. And it's just like watching A Quiet Place, if you haven't watched A Quiet Place, because the daughter that is deaf, she can't hear what's going on. And there are moments where there are silences when there's crazy things going around her. And it's just like, wow. It's a very powerful kind of reaction. One of the things that... I really loved about this movie. Second most powerful moment in the movie for me was at the half hour mark when Beethoven is at the Contessa's house, Contessa Julia, and he's teaching her how to play the pianoforte. And she clears out the house and she and her father hid it in some little nook. And you watch him with his ear on the pianoforte as he's playing. That moment hit me. When Catherine and I were in high school, my hearing was actually better, but at that point, I stopped singing. I used to sing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But since then, over the last 10 years, my hearing has mostly stabilized, but it started to go a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I found myself in situations like when I'm in the car traveling, or I am in a place with a lot of noise, I will touch the nearest solid object. Like when I'm in the car, I'll touch the door by the speaker and the vibrations help me figure out what song is playing or if somebody's speaking because that moment brings up the fundamental question. What is sound? And then by what extension? What is music? It's Hmm. vibrations Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I would hear in my own capacity, of course, through touch to figure out what's going on. Seeing that moment on screen, that moment that I've had myself was really powerful. Also with Gary Oldman on screen, girl, you cannot go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what Beethoven actually did in real life outside of the movie when Mm -hmm. he started going Mm -hmm. deaf. So I'm sure y'all know that Beethoven basically single-handedly took classical music and just turned us into the romantic era of classical music and Mm -hmm. a big part of that is because of all his intensities of dynamics that he uses maybe for our listeners who might not be so classically musically inclined before beethoven music was very loud or very soft wasn't too much of a middle ground when beethoven came around he started putting all these sudden loud and a lot of mid-range volumes a lot of crescendos so getting louder decrescendos getting softer things that weren't mm-hmm. used very drastically beforehand a lot of scholars have said a big part of the reason that he has done that is because he was going deaf so like it's easier for him to hear certain things so you kind of wonder mm-hmm. how much of it is an artistic decision how much of it is because of him coming to terms with his hearing loss and i know that there's a whole story of how he would just bang on the piano to the point where the neighbors under him would be very pissed. Yeah. Because he was yeah. listening to the vibrations instead of relying on, you know, pressing the key, hearing the note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when he was alive, deafness was not understood at all. 
that's what hit me when I was watching the movie. There's no way of dealing with it. You don't have hearing aids. You don't have captions on things. I don't think sign language was a thing, was it? I'm looking at it. At that time? 1755. Yeah, it was just a baby, basically. Yeah. Now there are 300 at least known sign languages used across the world. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. ASL is not universal. In fact, in Canada alone, we have LSQ. There are sign languages used by the native population. There's ASL. And across the pond in the UK, the Brits have their own sign language, which is BSL. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I kind of thought sign language is universal. It's not. It's like... We're all English speakers, but we have our own dialects. Like, I have my own mm-hmm. Canadian dialect. You guys as Georgians, like, you have your own dialect as well, but we still speak the same language. It's really a beautiful thing. At the time Beethoven was alive, this was just in its infancy, and it still wasn't really understood. When he was starting to go deaf, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was a very depressed and very angry individual. That's what we talked about in the inner game of music. There was like a moment where we had to sit down and listen to Beethoven's fifth for the entire chapter. And Mm -hmm. what I kind of came across, it was like at the beginning when you hear the and it's echoing all over the place. It brings out that sense like he's losing his hearing at this moment and he's frustrated with it because it's not like oh i'm happy yeah la, 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 la. oh it's i can't hear very... yay wonderful <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> it's a very angering motif i've listened to beethoven's fifth so many times in my life it just hit me a little bit harder and i was like wow that's a real feeling for somebody it's insane how someone can experience that Beethoven had a really sad life, too. If you look back on his life story, he was the oldest of, like, five kids. Only three of them lived to adulthood. These parts the movie got right. He was an alcoholic Mm -hmm. who used to beat him. His dad was a church musician. Saw promise in Beethoven and tried to get him to live that life. His mom died of tuberculosis when he was little. Then eventually the dad died, and Beethoven became basically the first freelance musician and had to carve out a living for himself and his brothers. His whole life, he was kind of like a young prodigy. He, like, hooked up with a bunch of people, but never really had a, like, solid romantic partner. He himself struggled with alcoholism. He got sick a few times. Like, really mm-hmm. sick. So, like, every everyone in the movie saying, like, oh, he's so ill-tempered, and oh, he's so angry. He's like, yeah, he got a shitty fucking life. And then on top of that, he started to lose his hearing in his, was it, his 20s or his 30s? It was pretty young. I think it was in his 20s. 26. I did some looking into, like, what caused Beethoven's deafness, and for a really long time, after his bones had been exhumed and doctors actually looked at it, there were a lot of mixed conclusions. Yeah, they don't really know. Mm-mm. There have been theories because they used lead in their plates and he consumed lead. There was sicknesses like syphilis and all those mm-hmm. different kinds of possibilities. I think a lot of composers had syphilis, if I remember that from music <laughs> history, because that's what you basically learned from the Romantic era, was how many composers got syphilis oh, and died. Keep in mind, oh. at that point, we didn't have the antibiotics to treat no. STDs like we do today. But there we is another thing, though. Deafness and hearing damage, hearing loss in general, it's not just genetic. It can also be caused by traumatic head injuries. His father was an alcoholic and a very angry one at that. It's not that far of a logical leap to assume that he was beaten and probably got walloped in the head a few times. Now, just to be clear, like I am not a doctor, but I have been a lifelong hearing patient and I learned a few things. You see, in the middle ear, we have three bones, the hammer, anvil, and stapes. These form a sort of chain in the middle ear to help guide vibrations up through into the inner ear, into the cochlea, and then into our auditory processing system that we know is sound, speaking, music. If he was beaten in the head, those bones, or possibly even the cochlea on top of that, would have been damaged or shaken loose, and that could have been a contributing factor to his deafness as well. And that kind of damage, especially at that time, is irreversible. I thought about it because of my hearing loss, because I actually don't have two of the bones on my left side in that middle ear section. 
And that's why I have such a reduced sound capacity, especially on the left side. That kind of broke my heart a little bit, especially for him. But I can tell you right now, he is cared about in the deaf and hard of hearing world. What I found even more interesting was in Budapest, back in February of 2020, there was a concert that was held specifically for the deaf and hard of hearing so that they could connect mm. with Beethoven's music through touch. Now, Brittany, you play the fiddle. String instruments are very good for this because they produce a strong enough vibration to where people can feel it through touch. Mm -hmm. Flute, on the other hand, is a different story. It's a wind instrument. It's a little different, yeah. You picked the wrong instrument, Catherine. <laughs> I didn't pick it. That's what she's saying. She's saying I'm better than you. <laughs> the flute life <laughs> chose Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> but what the attendees did at this concert was they would listen to the music while being in physical contact with the instruments as they played and hmm. it helped them feel the music on a very deep level and i thought that was an absolutely beautiful thing to do because mm -hmm. the deaf and hard of hearing can appreciate music in a way that hearing people may never fully understand. And there are deaf dancers out there. There are deaf DJs. Shout out to Nico DeMarco. He is a fantastic deaf DJ. He is the twin brother mm. of the model and activist Niall DeMarco. Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. He was on America's Next Top Model. Beautiful man, isn't he? <laughs> he is very beautiful. They are both very proud deaf people who are very frank about deaf life and they advocate for equality and what I absolutely love about his brother Nico is he doesn't let being deaf stop him and in fact I think it's what makes him a better DJ because he can literally feel the music. Mm -hmm. I think he's even played in Toronto and I remember the deaf and hard of hearing groups that I followed, they just went absolutely nuts over it. Dude's like a hero in my book, honestly. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I didn't know that he was deaf. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen that particular cycle. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Another very important thing to remember about hearing loss and deafness is there's no one right way to be. And it's also a spectrum. We have two ears. Somebody could be completely deaf on the left side and have perfect hearing on the right. Somebody could be completely deaf on both sides and use sign language to communicate and have never spoken a word. I think that's the beautiful thing about this community that I have since learned to connect with and I'm learning more about every day. And I absolutely loved this movie because it in its own way, told the experience of Beethoven. And I think that for someone who wasn't born deaf and someone who lost their hearing later in life, I feel like can relate to that part. And I, myself, am not a musician, but I just felt so moved. It was so beautiful. And I also noticed another interesting thing as well, which occurred at the end of the pianoforte scene when beethoven storms out after he was caught basically by the contessa and her father after he realized he was being spied on exactly <laughs> now if you take away the visuals and you listen to the monologue you can also hear static it's kind of stormy which is a good way to describe it that is my world that is what the world sounds like to me as a person mm -hmm. wow like white noisy basically, or like perpetually muffled. That was a very powerful moment because it cut out the ambient noise of people walking around and talking, but it's really subtle and it was beautifully done. Catherine, you've known me since grade nine. This is what my yeah. world is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember like in high school and I knew that you how your hearing aid and everything that was grade 11 and when i had that, that was grade 11 yeah i actually ended it's up rejecting so it 
Really? I hated wearing it. I was not happy about it because I don't like having to take care of it. Mm-hmm. I really did not want to do it, and because kids are cruel. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. High school sucked. I hated 80% of our class, <laughs> straight up, because there were so many people that were just assholes, and I am just going to say it. Brittany, if you want to edit assholes out, you can. <laughs> I mean, we are an explicit podcast, so I think it's fine. We are now. <laughs> Apparently, Apple thinks we're clean. We're not. <laughs> I don't know how it would be like if we were in high school today. I don't know if people would be as accepting. I feel like kids are a little less cruel these days, I think, with the internet and social awareness about mental health and whatnot. At least when we were in school and the people that we went to school with, people were not nice, and it pissed me off. I encountered ableism throughout my entire life, not just in the medical field, which, by the way, if you want to learn about sexism and ableism in the medical field i really recommend watching the youtube channel with jessica kelgren fozard she is a deaf and disabled activist who is not afraid to in her very sassy british way call people out on stuff like this Hmm. highly recommend her channel support your deaf and hard of hearing creators I have encountered ableism my entire life in the Canadian medical field, especially because there is still this very technology and hearing aid first kind of care. I mean, yes, you have to be responsible and make sure you get your hearing tested. If you need medication, take it, take care of your body. But this mentality that we still have today in the 21st century that we are broken, that we need technological intervention, that we need to adapt to the hearing world, I believe very firmly is incorrect. I think a little bit of empathy and understanding, and if somebody wants to become an ENT doctor, learn about the people that you're treating. Learn about the deaf culture. Learn about the community. Learn a few basic signs. It is not that hard. And to show compassion for the kids. They are not broken. They are beautiful people who are just going to have a different human experience, hear the world differently. And that is okay. And I think it's beautiful. When I became a designer, I realized that I wanted to dedicate my future and my career to bridging that gap between the rest of the world and the deaf of hard of hearing to make sure that everybody has accessibility to all kinds of media, to videos, to websites, and everything in between. Because when we're all united in this human experience, we can all learn to understand each other better. That mm-hmm. is why I reached out to you initially to talk about Immortal Beloved, because this movie is beautiful. Historical inaccuracies aside, it's a master class in storytelling. Not just through visuals, not just writing, not just casting. Also, Isabella Rossellini is dope. She is awesome. But through sound, through the music, which I thought as musicians, you would appreciate. Personally, I feel like I take this all for granted. I play a high-pitched instrument where I do have to make sure that I take care of my hearing as well. Because piccolo playing, if you don't protect yourself properly, then you will face some trouble in the future because the frequencies I can't play piccolo in here without wearing some kind of ear protection again we don't really think about these things like when we're in music school at least when Brittany and I were there we did not learn anything about mental health or physical health I remember seeing a lot of people with injuries and when they would get injuries they would stop playing part of that is also hearing because we are put in these confined spaces where percussive instruments, for instance, are insanely loud. And not only that, but have you sat next to a French horn? I don't want to. Like, <laughs> so I'm playing with this orchestra tonight. I haven't really noticed much of it in the past with other groups, but what I noticed here was a lot of the violin players are wearing earplugs because the timpani is right behind them where we are placed in the room for rehearsals. And then also, if I am playing piccolo, I played piccolo in the July concert. When you're literally sitting, like, 
two feet apart. I had earplugs and I offered them to people. I was like, would you like an earplug? They were like, no, I'm going to be fine. And they're like right next to me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm playing high C's and B's because John Williams. That's just what I kind of took away from this movie. What I really liked about it was emotional experience that you feel that is compared to what Beethoven is going through. It just made me really feel like I took music for granted and hearing for granted. What did you think, Brittany? Me personally, I definitely don't hear as well out of my left ear because I'm constantly holding an amplified wooden box right under my head. <laughs> I know for a fact that I have a little bit of hearing damage. I don't know. I've always liked Beethoven. He's been hands down probably my favorite composer. I remember playing his Fifth Symphony when I was in high school and it was one of the best experiences of my life. And then we played Beethoven 9. Oh, that was so fun. When I was a freshman at Kennesaw and Catherine was a sophomore. Dr. A gave me a fist bump. <laughs> I remember when he walked on stage and he didn't have his music. And I was like, wait, what? I totally didn't realize that until the very end. Uh-oh. Mia looked next to me. She's like, did you just... He didn't have the music stand the entire time? Because I rested, like, literally... Four and a half movements. <laughs> I didn't come into like the half part of the fourth movement. Just like kind of sitting there, like listening to the music, like, hmm. <laughs> that was like the coolest experience ever, was playing Beethoven's Night. I've always been scared of losing my hearing as a musician, as someone who, for their occupation, relies on their hearing. Before we were recording, we were talking about the Delta variant of COVID and how apparently one of the symptoms is hearing loss. I was like, oh, zoinks. I ain't gonna mess with that. It's insane. It's a really terrifying prospect. If it wasn't important to already take care of what you have, do it now by getting mm -hmm. your butt mm -hmm. to a place to get vaccinated. I am not kidding, yeah, people. Yeah, right? Yeah. Any Canadian listeners out there, you guys, we live in a country where so much of our healthcare is covered. Get your butts vaccinated. Seriously. Even in the U.S., the vaccine's free, regardless of if you have insurance or not. Yeah, seriously. Just make sure that you don't do it in a massive line. And have your car die. Yeah, because that's what happened to me. Just make sure your car's okay before you do a mass vaccination site or something. Medical technology has advanced this far, so I don't know. Maybe to make mm -hmm. use of it? I don't know. What do I know? I'm just a musician. You're not only protecting yourself, but you're protecting others that could face more severe consequences it's not something to just protest about it's something that this needs to be done yeah we, we need to take care of ourselves we live in a society it's not and just others. about you <laughs> exactly i've always admired the fact that he was able to keep doing what he loved doing even though he was losing and eventually lost his hearing i thought that takes like a great amount of not only the obvious skill, but mental fortitude. Because if mm -hmm. I lost my hearing, I would like to think I'd still play, but I mean, who knows, right? I don't know what I would do, to be very honest. It's just one of those things that I've never thought about ever until recently. I mean, we're so dependent on hearing because that's what we do all the time, especially with our music. When I teach, half the time I'm not even looking at the music that my students are playing, I'm listening. Yeah. It's so important, and I'm so dependent on it, even within myself. Like, do I sound okay? Like, what can I do to make this sound better? Don't take what you have for granted. As I said, I was very, very young. I don't remember ever hearing normally, and I never will. Mm. So I can't really appreciate fully what that sounds like, if that is clear. Mm -hmm. The way that I hear things and the way that I process things, I wouldn't change it because it has given me a purpose and a passion to create accessible communication for everybody. And because I was brought up hearing, meaning that all the people who raised me are hearing, I went to a mainstream school, obviously, so I was not surrounded by people who are like me since i was brought up hearing and i was brought up to rely mostly on oral communication people don't believe me 
Oh, yeah. Is it because you don't sound deaf kind of thing? Exactly. That was all in quotes. <laughs> I guess I forget that this is a audio. <laughs> did you have like ever, did you have issues like that in high school? I've had issues my entire life, even in the corporate world now, which I'm trying to figure out how to navigate. But there's also another impact to that. Because mm-hmm. the damage is asymmetrical, it's mostly on my left side, I now have balance issues. I have trouble even staying upright. (laughs) Even though that I can deal with that for the most part, the ableism is what really made me sad because it shows the world at large is not aware that we exist. And the really sad thing is the generally accepted statistic is about a third of Canadians are deaf or hard of hearing. And on top of that, Mm. most people are going to experience an auditory issue in their lifetime. Whether it's Hmm. through a traumatic head injury, sickness, or just general age. One of the important things to be aware of as hearing people is the longer you are exposed to certain sounds consistently, if you start to experience ringing in your ears, get your butt to a doctor. Oh, I Mm. already have that. Tintinitis. Not done. I think it's just from violin. I've been playing for... 17 years, so... I guess I watched the movie for the wrong reasons, because all my notes are literally about the movie and not about hearing. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> the Countess, Countess Arodi, mm-hmm. she's played by Isabella Rossellini. Mm-hmm. I thought she was an absolutely fascinating character. I was really annoyed about her fake violin playing because yeah. the cellist was playing and the pianist was playing and she was just like, what's a violin? And I was like, oh God. When they had the orchestra playing the Ninth Symphony, I had to like rewind it and watch it closely <laughs> to see, are they playing the right bowings? In movies, they do this all the time. I don't think they're playing with sound. No, they usually don't. They don't, and so you have to, like, do it yourself. I believe when I went on, I do this all the time, I go on Wikipedia when I look up movies, especially plots. Did you cite your sources? spoil it for myself. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that they got, I believe, the London Symphony, but they also got the Juilliard String Quartet to play in this. And I don't know if it was them in the movie or if it was just them. Playing the audio to put in later. It's always fun to tell, like, who's playing and who's not, because I feel like in movies, especially if... August Rush. If your main character is supposed to be a musician, but you're like, oh shit, oh shit, you don't know how to play the didgeridoo. Here, just just take it and and fake it. Anchorman. I love Anchorman, but (laughs) no. Even if you watch Parks and Rec, and with Ron Swanson being, what's his name? Isn't it the Duke or Duke something? Duke Silver! Duke Silver, yeah. So with that scene where it's like, is his name Schindler? Mm-hmm. And what's her name? Anna Maria. I watched the movie and I like took down my notes. When they are sitting at that table in that bar or the inn or whatever it's called back in the day. This is the 19th century. I don't know what they're called. That was the longest flashback story ever. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're sitting at the bar and Schindler goes off on this flashback of how he met Beethoven and all this stuff. And literally, it's nighttime. And when they walk out of that bar, it's like 10 a.m. in the morning the next day. I'm like, what happened? He finally finished his story. Everyone else's flashbacks were like an hour long. His was like an entire evening into the morning time. You can have brunch by now. Have like bottomless mimosas. And then she kisses him on the lips. I'm like, what did they do? Wasn't this the first time he met her? Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, it just confused me. Yeah, some of the storyline stuff was really weird. (laughs) And another thing that bothered me about this movie was the fact that... Okay, so the movie is Immortal Beloved, which is referencing... Okay, it's not his will. Beethoven wrote this letter, this 10-page letter, where, like, it starts out, my angel, my all, my own self, yada, yada, yada. He wrote it to a mysterious lover. But they start the movie, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's his will, and his will is addressed to this person. I'm like, bitch, no, I didn't. Like, no. 
No. And I feel like a lot of the movie was not actually about the women. Or was this more about him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were trying to, like, make a storyline. How, like, a third of the movie was, like, about Carl. Carl! I'm like, was he the immortal beloved? Every time I heard Carl, I was like, Carl! From fucking Dead. <laughs> I know it's not the actual spelling or anything, but that was just what I was thinking of. Gary Oldman looks really great as young Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They did a really good job with the costuming, I think, with not just him, but with like everybody else mm-hmm. and like where they filmed it. I couldn't find it on IMDb or Wikipedia, but I feel like they filmed this in Vienna. Because there were some scenes outside, like a mountaintop that I saw, and I was like, this reminds me of when I actually went to Vienna. So I'm kind of curious to see where they filmed it. It says Prague. Never mind. <laughs> but Prague is beautiful, regardless. I'm completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. But it just like kind of brought me back to when I did go to Vienna. I mean, if you ever have a chance to go visit Vienna, it's like a classical music nerd's dream. Mm-hmm city because there's so many houses that are just like Haydn's house, Mozart, Mahler, Beethoven, Strauss, Schubert as well. There's so many historical sites of these homes of composers and just like statues and streets named after these composers. It's like, wow, classical music is the thing here. (laughs) I just remember being so amazed by it, but I really wanted to go inside the Beethoven house and I wasn't able to. And I'm telling myself if I ever go to Vienna again, that's where I'm going. When you walk in, you're just like, wow, these people whose music I've played, they lived here. They smelled here. They smelled here? Is that yeah, what you just said? Yeah, they like farted here. Okay, okay. <laughs> Their smells are in the walls. I was just making sure I heard you right. <laughs> Their footprints are in the floorboards. <laughs> I really liked the costuming. I love the makeup. Gary Oldman, I'll be honest with you, I looked at this. Beethoven died at 56 years old. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman looks like he's 80 years old when he's on his deathbed. You saw that too. I was like, why is he suddenly, like, he has this pure white hair that he's never had before and it's hanging in strands. I'm like, where did this come from? When my dad was 56 years old, I was 16 years old. My dad had gray, white hair happening, but he's, I mean, like, he looks like an old man, but he didn't, he didn't look like 80. My dad did not look like he was decrepit sitting on a bed. So, I don't know what's going on. My dad, I think, is turning 56 this year. Oh god, your parents are young. Your dad does not look that old. He does not look like a decrepit man on his deathbed. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was just like, oh my. And there was no transition either. Either In the scenes where he was in the house with Carl, and Carl was like totally into that servant woman, and Beethoven was just like, no, she's a slut. Oh. <laughs> he looked like he was in his like 50s or 60s, maybe. I know that Beethoven was like an angry man, I guess, but like, oh my god. They portrayed him as such a woman hater. Yes. yes. A misogynist. This is another movie that happened in 1994. Did you guys ever watch The Little Rascals growing up? Yes. Like, <laughs> no. The little... Yes. It reminded me of the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, he's the leader. <laughs> like, I was just sitting there and I'm like, he is the leader because he's calling these women bitches and sluts. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, he is the He-Man Woman Hater leader of The Little Rascals. Mm-hmm. You gotta watch The Little Rascals, Brittany. I love how this podcast started out as talking about hearing laws and being more aware of stuff like that and talking about, about like Beethoven's hearing laws and yeah. stuff. And now we're just nitpicking our criticisms of a movie. <laughs> we really are. Like, I mean, it was really interesting. And I think it's the same way if like we watch like Amadeus or what other movies are out there. I got like a fifty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and I can see probably how, because I'm so critical of movies nowadays. That's happening to me too, especially as I start to learn more about psychology and as I become more increasingly aware of like the way women are treated in movies. The mm-hmm. actresses themselves, like in the business of movies. Like the stuff that happened with ScarJo recently with the release of Black Widow. Oh, yeah, because, like, didn't she fight something against Disney Plus or something for releasing it? Yeah, they wanted to stream her movie, but she wanted to wait for it to be in theaters because she would have gotten more money. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was... Oh, that's... It's not equal. Yeah. At all. Oh, man. 
you know how throughout the movie, well, at least when Carl comes on the scene. Carl! (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was interesting how it continued a cycle. Because Beethoven in the movie wanted his nephew slash son to become a great virtuoso. And I've seen this kind of pattern before where you just start continuing the way you were treated when you become a parent yourself. And I was really impressed with the way that that was written out to be acted in the movie. And I saw a lot of interesting observations that Carl has a similar personality to Anton. And he also, Carl at least, he's a generally good-natured kid. And what I also found interesting was even though Beethoven put so much pressure on him and almost broke the kid, he was able to pull himself together after fumbling the attempt. He was smart and cognizant enough to run and find his mom. And then they were reunited. And I thought that was beautiful in its own end. And that was all real, too. All of that stuff at least happened in real life. Mm -hmm. Beethoven never had an heir. He never got married, never had a kid. So Mm -hmm. he basically Mm -hmm. tried to, I don't want to say thrust, (laughs) push his talents and... To the future. Yeah, onto his his nephew. I mean, if you think about it, too, like, what composers out there have done that? I don't know any composer that's done that. It's been, like, that composer, that's it. You don't hear about, like, Mahler's kids writing things or mm-hmm. Mozart's kids doing anything. I mean, really, it's just Bach. Yeah, I was going to say Because Bach had all those... Ch- Bach had, like, 17 kids. So one of, one of them's bound to be a musician. <laughs> I think that that's literally the only composer. And even at Beethoven's time, Bach wasn't a thing. It's not like they were playing the Bach cello suites as commonly today. Or His music was out there, but it didn't really get out there until like the 60s or 70s, apparently, from what I've read. Mm, really? I was going to say, I think Bach mm-hmm. was like a big deal then. Setting counterpoint was a huge deal to like Haydn and Handel and Mozart and Beethoven, too. Um, from what I've read, somebody found like his cello suites or something in the 50s or 60s and started recording them. Because that was, like, when radio was, like, a big thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could be wrong. <laughs> when you, like, said, hmm, I didn't know that. I was like, oh. Well, I mean, I also could be wrong. I'm not, like, an ethnomusicologist or anything. I'm just a dweeb, so what do I know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Catherine, thanks. I'm glad <laughs> you think so highly of me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, gosh. <sighs> what did you guys think of the Ode to Joy concert at the very end of the movie? It reminded me back in undergrad. It put me back into a place of when I first listened to the symphony itself. And that was a really powerful moment for me because that was when I started to like really enjoy music more. I think out of all of the music and audio timing out of the movie that that was the biggest moment and the best moment. I feel like a lot of the other parts of the movie, they kind of repeated the same like five or six pieces they really save Beethoven 9 for the end, which makes sense. But I think the mm-hmm. way that they utilize it as more than just kind of background music of, oh, hey, here's Beethoven, and actually putting it as part of like the plot was really cool. When that symphony actually premiered, mm-hmm. the first piece that was before that was, I believe, Choral Fantasy. It's like a smaller, babier version of Symphony Number no. 9. Mm-hmm. You have an orchestra and a full chorus. And then when you go on to hear Symphony Number no. 9, and if you think about it like being there in that time, during that moment, and you hear that for the first time, imagine like listening to Symphony Number no. 9. It just like gets you. One thing that I never got over about Beethoven 9 is the very beginning. It's, it has a lot of meaning in two ways. It's sort of supposed to mimic an orchestra tuning which can also kind of mm-hmm. sound like white noise, so it can represent being immersed in Beethoven's world at that point of being completely deaf. And also, since it's tuning, it can also kind of be represented as the creation of the universe, like, it's where everything starts. I don't know if you guys remember this YouTube video, but it was this, these, like, little sketches 
they're kind of like morbid. <laughs> like there's a little cloud and he's just standing there and he's like, it's a beautiful day. And there's like all these other clouds and they're like, yay. And then like, there's like blood everywhere and the clouds like, my anus is bleeding. <laughs> and all the clouds are like, yay. What? And the other clouds like, my anus is bleeding. <laughs> And they're, they're still, like, celebrating. And then the cloud's like, for the love of God! And all that is holy! My anus is bleeding! In between each one, they play Beethoven's Nine. You hear, da-da! 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 Like, you hear it constantly throughout, like, the thing. You hear the scherzo. It's hilarious. And I'll be really honest with you guys. A lot of music people are going to be like, what is wrong with her? If they're not already. I didn't know that was Be- <laughs> Yeah. I did not know that was Beethoven's Night until <laughs> when I found a CD in between my freshman and sophomore year of college. I found a CD somewhere in Bellingham, Washington of the symphony, and I bought it and I listened to it. And when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's from that YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's the piece. <laughs> And that's how I found out about Beethoven's Ninth. So there you go, kids. I don't know about a lot of people y'all, but I think that's a as good of a spot as any to end the episode. <laughs> uh, any other takeaways y'all want to chat <sighs> about before we call it a day? I think people don't want to hear from me anymore. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh! Just, you know, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you for coming on. I really hope that people listening really took in from your perspective on hard of hearing and the deaf community because, I mean, again, this is something that I don't think about at all. And I don't know about you, Brittany. I thought about it a little bit. Wendy, is there anything that you want to plug? I am available on Instagram at designerwithfire. And you will see my lovely face there. I take pictures of nature a lot. I take pictures of the local sites and just all across Ontario. And it's also a great way to work on my photo editing and my graphic design skills. Seriously, though, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you. And we'll see y'all next week on another beautiful episode. Good old life. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, you fancy.